Hello there, and thanks for listening in to our Die of Matthew study. Die of Matthew is the dive study that began it all. Throughout February of 2019, lives were changed and the scriptures came alive to a group of about 50 people as they dove into the book of Matthew, all 28 chapters in 28 days. It moved at a fast clip, but even with that rigorous pace, it became clear that it was worth pursuing an ongoing ministry based on these studies. This is how Dive Collective began. Our new dive studies will be formatted differently, but the process of inductive study remains the same. So as you listen through the book of Matthew, know that we are waiting to welcome you into our current live dive studies where we engage with our Bible study members and dive in at a manageable pace for study. You can find everything you need to know at divecollective.org under our studies tab. Enjoy your time in Dive Matthew, and we hope you'll join us in real time soon. So welcome to Dive Matthew, where we're going to be doing 28 chapters of Matthew in 28 days. For the first study, you're going to want to download our dive guide at www.divecollective.org in our shop under free downloads. Dive studies are our version of inductive Bible study. This particular study of Matthew was the first one we did back in 2019. I hosted that dive guide in a different format on a different website at the time, but now if you want to join in and see how to do a dive study before committing to join us live, you'll want to go ahead and go to divecollective.org to download and get started. So we're going to go ahead and read through chapter 14 of Matthew. If you'd like to skip ahead because you've already read it, you can go ahead and do that now. You'll want to join in at approximately 4 minutes and 45 seconds. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. This is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, since John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowd since they regarded John as a prophet. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up twelve baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. 
Immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. They begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe. As many as touched it were healed. Okay. The Feeding the 5,000 portion is in the dive book that is on the website that most of you have probably downloaded that has all of my observations, interpretations, and applications. It's pretty powerful, but I'm going to jump over it. and It'll be interesting to see whether that's the portion that any of the people in the group discuss because I'd be interested to see what observations and applications they come from that. The portion that I did that I was going to share today is from The Walking on the Water, but... I love hearing you talk about Peter's perspective on this walking in the water section. (laughs) See if I can remember any of it. I'll help you if you can. Thanks. I'll remind you. (laughs) So this portion is Jesus walking on the water. So some of the observations that I made were that this is right after they picked up the leftovers from feeding the crowds. So Jesus, they had a crowd there and he had just done a huge miracle And he wanted to go be alone. And so he goes up under the mountains and he tells them, it says that Jesus sent the disciples, but what's the word? It says, uh, he made the disciples get into the boat. Yes. He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. I find that interesting. I think there are some times when you just want to be alone so badly that you're (laughs) like, I know that you want to be with me right now, but you go, you Mm -hmm. go and let me just be here by myself. And then he just dismisses the crowd. Mm -hmm. So Still, I kind of wonder what that looks like. How does Jesus get them to go away? How does he get alone time? And maybe it's not the crowds that he has to worry about alone time from. It's his disciples. disciples. Because they don't want to be away from him because they know him so well. He wants to be away from God. So he sends the disciples ahead of him in a boat, which led me to an interpretation question, which was, what was Jesus planning on doing? How, How was he planning on getting back across the sea? Was he always planning on walking on the water across the sea? It certainly seems like it. Number two, he got all the alone time that he needed up on the mountain, and he prayed well into the night, it says. And then he walks. We find him walking on the water. Actually, I actually have the question. Number three, when did he sleep? Number four, the boat hadn't gotten across the lake because of the wind, and it was holding the boat back. Number five, Jesus walks on water to catch a ride the rest of the way. (laughs) He goes to catch up with them (laughs) on the water. Number six, Jesus walks on rough waters. He's not walking on smooth waters. That's the way I had always pictured it. So there had been a storm, and he actually chose to go out on the water while it was raging. Number seven, it's also very early in the morning. It was still dark, it says. Number eight, disciples thought he was a ghost. They were terrified. Number nine, Jesus identifies himself. Number 10, Peter challenges him to include him in the miracle. Another observation that I made later that was kind of based on that is I realized that if Peter is asking him to include him in the miracle, when he goes out onto the water in order to be a part of the miracle, he would be going in the opposite direction as the rest of the disciples. He'd be leaving them behind 
to go meet Jesus out on the water. Jesus accepts the challenge and tells him to come. Number 12, his eyes are fixed on Jesus and he has success. When his eyes leave Jesus, he begins to fail. When they get into the boat, the wind ceased. Okay, so for interpretations. Can I make a quick observation? Sure. And maybe this is observation combined with interpretation, but um, back in verse 23, Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that when he needs alone time, his alone time where he's, it seems like he's kind of going away to recharge is actually time with his father because he goes away to pray. Oh, yeah. Yep. The interpretation from that passage, I keep wanting to jump to application. We can see from Jesus that even Jesus needed time to be away from people to go be with his father, which is exactly what you were just saying, that he he had to have time to be rejuvenated by just receiving from his father and being with his father. So application for that would be that we he can send his people ahead of him knowing full well that he'll catch up. There's not... He doesn't have to be afraid that he's going to fall behind or that he's never, he's going to have to find them again. Um, This, and I think I wrote that interpretation more thinking in terms of application and myself when I need my time to recharge and I want to spend time with my father, that fear that like something exciting is going to happen without me. And the reality is that we're not going to, we won't, Mm -hmm. there's nothing to miss. Jesus shows up, he reveals himself. He identifies who he is, but before he does that, he looked terrifying to the disciples. Mm. Number three, Peter asked to be invited into the miracle. Jesus didn't just call him out. Peter saw him doing it and said, I want to come, like, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be a part of that. And that's when Jesus invites him. Jesus does invite him to do it, and then he goes out. And then another interpretation from that is when he goes out to be a part of the miracle, it wasn't until he stepped into it that he realized it was more than he could handle. Mm -hmm. And that's when Jesus actually lifts him up out of the water and puts him back in the boat. And then one of my favorite interpretations is looking at when Jesus puts, gets back in the boat and Peter is there, I'm picturing him there and he's just sort of this sopping wet heap at the bottom of this boat and Jesus gets into the boat probably dry because that's how that works. And it results in the disciples worshiping Jesus. So Peter's already been a part of the miracle, and I'm sure that he's his heart feels worship, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But it's really him being a part of that miracle and him having failed is the contrast between his humanity and then Jesus's deity standing mm-hmm. right there. The disciples see that contrast, and it leads them to worship Jesus. So then application-wise, like, it's our failures so much. So often it's it's the part of ourselves that we would be the most ashamed of mm-hmm. that are the things that lead, can lead to the most, to sowing the most seeds. Mm-hmm. Like, our, it's, according to Peter, he failed. Mm-hmm. He failed to go out and be a part of the miracle and succeed in trusting in Jesus the way that you would think that he should have trusted in Jesus. But in the failure... Um, and Jesus picking him up and putting him back in the boat. He still got the glory. Jesus still Jesus got, the glory. got all of mm-hmm. the glory, and people knew Jesus more because of his humanity. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, there's so much freedom in that. So application-wise, there's the idea that maybe <laughs> when we see God doing big things, we can ask to be invited into it, and just maybe he'll invite us into it. And perhaps, and probably often, when we do go and we enter into that miracle, what we find is that it's way bigger mm-hmm. than we ever expected and way harder. And the uh, waves are more overwhelming than we could have 
possibly predicted and and we end up sinking we end up not succeeding because mm-hmm. it's not we don't actually have the power to do anything for him like he has to do it and so maybe that was the point the point wasn't that Jesus was able to give Peter the ability to walk on water the point was actually that Jesus was to remind Peter that point isn't just to have the power and to do the miracle the point is that I have all the power mm-hmm. and that I get to, I can do all the miracles mm-hmm. but the thought that he invites us into it anyway I think about that I had a friend of mine when I was talking about wanting to really start being intentional about, well, at the time we were talking about writing, but I think it applies to ministry in general. And she was talking about how, you know, Beth Moore only is Beth Moore because she said yes, because she continues to say yes, as hard as it gets. And as big as the, of the, as the waves are, like she continues to enter out into the water where it's treacherous and it's ugly and it's hard and, She's not, when you hear her talk, you can tell that she doesn't, she see herself as a, she's not a success. Her whole story is brokenness and you can tell that ministry has been hard mm-hmm. and, and wearing, but she continues to say yes and go out, even though she continues to end up back in the boat, a sopping wet mess, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. just that idea of being willing to say yes, even if at the end of the day, every time you go, you kind of feel more and more human mm-hmm. <laughs> and incapable that's really the point, right? Right. The, the more we do ministry. Us, that it's still not about us. Yeah, yeah. The more we do ministry, if we say yes to ministry, we should expect that in the end, we're just going to be confronted again and again and again and again and again with our humanity. Mm-hmm. Because the confrontation of our humanity is what allows God to be seen. So following Jesus and being a minister of the gospel is not going to bring or should not bring mm-hmm. us any glory at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Yeah. And when you say, like, being in ministry, you just mean... Sowing seeds. Right. The stuff that all of us as believers do yeah. for the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. When he says, come, and you choose to go, just know that if you end up looking pretty at the end of the day, it might not have gone as planned. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I love about this is that, I mean, I guess you could kind of think of it in a negative way, too. I feel like just not that long ago, the disciples watched Jesus calm the storm. (laughs) And they've watched him do like hundreds of other miraculous things. Mm -hmm. And so part of me is like, why were they afraid when they saw somebody walking on the water? Like, why would they just not assume it was Jesus and he came to rescue them? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, really, I probably would have been the disciple that was freaking out like I wouldn't have been you know what I mean I wouldn't have been mm-hmm. any different had I been in that situation but I don't know I think the thing I love about it is that it doesn't really matter like Jesus keeps working with them and he keeps revealing himself to them mm-hmm. over and over and over again so it doesn't matter how many times we forget what he is doing or is capable of doing or has done he'll keep showing us I like to compare those situations too when I see something that's similar so mm-hmm. you're, you notice that parallel yeah. And in the last time when we saw it, we were talking about how that was, Jesus was sort of taking them through a progression and showing them the new, like, I can heal bodies. Now Mm -hmm. I can actually have authority over the earth. And this, what's interesting is that it's almost like he's showing them, I have the authority to give you authority. Like, I have the authority to enable you to overcome Mm -hmm. the laws of physics. That's how powerful I am. I'm not just powerful enough for me to do it. For me to do it myself. But I have enough power to give you the power Mm -hmm. to do 
uh, what you need to do to overcome physics, which of course is what he's saying. Like if you have the faith side of mustard seed, you mm-hmm. can say move, move mountains. mountains. Yeah, yeah. That idea that I think I have not even grasped. I mean, I haven't even scratched the surface of understanding what that really means mm-hmm. that I have the power of God in me to do mighty, mighty things. If I'm being honest, I just don't think I've really spent mm-hmm. that much time contemplating how much I can, how much authority God has given me to do his will. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me of our conversation the other day too, when we were talking about um, back again to the paralytic that Jesus forgives his sins and then heals his body. Mm-hmm. And how you were talking about how we as believers get to be a part of that soul work that Jesus does. Mm. And so even this, like faith as small as the mustard seed can move mountains. And yes, we could, if God wanted us to move mountains with whatever faith we had, he could literally move the mountains. But sometimes those mountains, right. Those mountains are bondage. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not as physical. It's not physical the way we, Right. Yeah. And I do think that's, I think that is actually more the point than anything right. else. So when those, you mm-hmm. say you don't realize the power of God that you have because of the spirit, you're not talking about going out and literally moving mountains. You're talking about. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No, I'm not talking right. about a magic wand. That I, yes. Yes. No, I'm literally thinking about the fact that how much do I not pray for? How much yes. do I not ask for? How much do I not believe that when I go and pray, it literally it changes does things. things? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dive Matthew. If you enjoyed our version of Inductive Bible Study and want to join our community of people all working on the same book of the Bible together, come check us out at divecollective.org and sign up for one of our current live dive studies. We believe you'll find a welcoming community, one where you'll be challenged, inspired, and uplifted. Come and see.